Well, it is, it is a delight for me to be standing up here with you guys. It's been over a month that I've uh, preached here, and uh, those first two weeks of September really were tough on me. Uh, corona is not a, a virus you want to mess with, and uh, so for a week I ran a fever and uh, didn't think anything about it, just thought I had a fever. Um, and then um, we heard from the, the person that I did the wedding for that that she got coronavirus, or the groom got it, her daddy got it, half the wedding party tested positive, so I thought, oh, I better test, you know, and so I realized that I had it, and, uh, and so we had the whole staff tested, and, and others that I was around uh, the week that, you know, between I, when I was exposed and when I tested. Uh, nobody got it, thank goodness. We were just so grateful that, that God protected you guys, because I preached here, I think that was the last time I preached here, then I was in the, other, the two traditional services doing the um, the assisting part, so I was exposing everybody in the church, but because of our mask and social distancing, uh, you know, God protected you guys. So, so, but it's been a while since I've been up here, so it's been, uh, it's, 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 it's good to see you. And uh, for you guys online, uh, glad you're here uh, worshiping with us. But um, we're kicking off a sermon series. Fran did a great job last week of starting it, but it's, it's talking about uh, the power of story and how Jesus' story changed it all. And uh, all of us love a good story. We just do. Uh, that's why movies are so popular. So what I want you to do, if, if we didn't wear the mask and we weren't in, during the season of, of social distancing, I would have you yell out your favorite movie or your favorite book. But what I want you to do is be thinking about it, because I'm asking you a few questions. So, so get in mind, what is your favorite story, whether it's a movie, whether it's a book that you've read, what is that favorite story? Everybody locking that into the memory banks? Okay. All right. Why is that your favorite story? Is it because there's a lot of action and adventure? If that's your situation, raise your hand. Is it an action adventure? Okay, all right. Is it your favorite story because there's a wonderful moral attached to it? At the end of the story, you realize, oh, wow, there's this wonderful truth. There's this wonderful way of treating people. There's this wonderful ethical moral. Uh, is it because of that? All right. Uh, is it because it is a love story, and, and like the notebook or something, and you just, there's this wonderful story of these two people and how they finally, is that, okay, yeah, yeah, all right. And a lot of times, like, there's that movie um, with Ben Affleck, and, and it's, it's uh, Pearl Harbor, but they got this wonderful love story kind of woven throughout, but it's, it's a historical story about Pearl Harbor, um, but they take, uh, but, so, uh, or, or maybe, maybe your favorite story is because there's great suspense, and you're at the edge of your seat. How many of you guys, that's the reason that you've chosen, all right? Uh, how about um, mystery? Maybe it's because there's such uh, twisting and mystery. You don't know. How about raising your hand on that? All right. The rest of you guys is probably like me because Rocky beats Clubber Lang, and in the end, he's the champion. Is that why y'all? Okay. No. Y'all are Rocky fans like me. But anyway, um, well, anyway, stories. We love stories because it captures some essence of humanity. We find that there's, there's something uh, about these stories that we love to hear, we love to see, we love to watch, we love to read. We think about our own life and how it, within that there's these ebbs and flows, there's situations, and it's all a part of our human experience. Uh, and so this morning as we look at Jesus' story, um, I want us to do something that, that Fran likes to do. When Fran reads a book, she'll go to the very end and she'll read how it ends. And I'm like, well, wh why do you do that? Why do you? She goes, I want to know how the story ends. I mean, anybody like that? Y'all like that? Okay. Uh, there's a lot of folks that they want to know how the story ends. And so when we look at the life of Jesus, 
the three and a half years of his earthly ministry. Now, Jesus is God. He existed before anything was created. He will always exist. He never had a beginning, but there was a season of Jesus' experience where he took on human flesh, stepped into our world that he's created, and lived among us. So for those 33 years, uh, Jesus, being fully human, fully God, experienced the heartache that we experienced. Now, he never sinned. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians that he who knew no sin, so Jesus never sinned, never broke God's law. He was tempted by the devil. The scripture says he was tempted in all things, yet without sin. So things that you're not even tempted to do, Jesus was tempted. Now, it wasn't like he had a laptop and it, and it froze on him and he got angry or anything like that. It wasn't that, but the idea of dealing with anger, the idea of dealing with greed, or the idea of dealing with whatever human experience, Jesus was tempted in all things. Yet he did not give in to that temptation. Now, the first brothers, uh, Cain and Abel, there was a time when um, Cain was going to rise up and kill Abel, and God spoke to him. And he says, sin is crouching at your door. Don't let it overcome. Don't let it master you. So we know that, and there's other scriptures that bear this out, that, that we can be tempted to break God's law, to be uh, stepping over a line that we shouldn't step over. But we, in Christ, don't have to sin. It's a choice that we make as a Christian. Now, before we follow Christ, then we're just slaves of sin. We're just, we're, that's just our natural tendency our human nature bends and leans toward doing what we want to do. We, we haven't yielded lordship to Jesus yet, so we're, we're sinners, and we are saved by grace through faith. But, so, so we all have broken God's law. Doesn't mean that we're all wicked and mean and nasty and dirty, but we've all done things that separate us from God. So when we look at Jesus' story, those 33 years that he was here in, in, earthly, in, in an earth suit, if you look to the end of the story, like Fran would do, that's what we're going to focus on this morning. So uh, let's, let's talk about this. So, so Jesus, why he came, there's, there's several scriptures we'll unpack during the sermon series, but, but he came that he might reconcile all of humankind who put trust in him to the God that created us. Our sin, the Bible says in Isaiah, makes a separation between us and God. And so we, we don't have this intimate, close relationship that God wants us to have, that Adam and Eve had in the garden, and that Jesus experienced while he walked this earth. This close, intimate fellowship has been marred, has been separated, has been distorted because of the sin that we could. Remember Adam and Eve. They had the opportunity to do whatever you want to do because they were, they were without sin, with one exception. There's a tree, and if you eat of that fruit, then you're going to understand good and evil. You're going to experience evil, and so you're going to know it experientially. So they could have done, they, they could eat any of the fruit they wanted. There's lots of wonderful trees there, lot of great, great things to do. God would come down and fellowship with them, walk with them in the garden. I mean, can you imagine how sweet that must have been? They were both naked, and the Bible says they were not ashamed because they didn't know lust and greed, and they didn't know about all the, the, the negative things that come uh, from that. So, so there was just purity there. There was this, there was this um, ability to be unashamed because there was nothing to be ashamed they didn't, they had not done anything to cause them shame. 
But when they chose to disobey God and they, and they saw, wow, that that's a fruit is beautiful. It's, it, 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 all these kind of things, lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, boastful pride of life, like 1 John talks about this in the world. When they experienced and they, and they broke fellowship, what's the first thing they did when God wanted to come and hang out with them? They hid because they knew that they were naked. And they understood the sinfulness that we have in our human tendency when it comes to, to just taking care of one another or, or relating to one another. Um, and so they, God said, who told you that, that you'd have any clothes on? And he, of course, he knew. He knew they had, they had, they had broken fellowship. So there was a separation. So what, what does Jesus come to? He comes to make this reconciliation. He comes to, 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 to bring these relationships that have been severed back together. God takes the first step. God makes the first move toward you and me. He says, I'm going to do something. And if they'll respond to that, then we can, we can have this communion. We can have this fellowship. We can have this relationship that God so longed for when he created you. He created you and me. And there was one reason he created us, so we could know him know about him yes but that we could know him because he's the greatest thing there is and God says I want to create this person they can live this life and they can know me and so that's why God that's why we're here now there's other reasons we're here too God's got a job for you to do. God's got people for you to influence. He's got people for you to experience love and give love to and, and all these wonderful plans that he has for you. But the number one reason I believe from the scriptures that, that you're not here, that you and I are here, is to know God. And Jesus comes to make that possible. And so, so if we look at the end of, the, uh, of, his, of his life, this scripture that's in your bulletin uh, kind of helps us understand that. So, uh, if you've got your bulletin, turn to that page. It's John 3, 14 and 15. Now, this is right before John 3, 16. Everybody knows John 3, 16 if you've grown up in the church. But these are the scriptures that are right before it. And it says this, As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so the Son of Man uh, will be lifted up, so that whoever believes in him will have everlasting life or eternal life. So what is this idea of Moses lifting up the serpent in the wilderness? Now, Jesus is speaking to Jewish people. They understood this. They knew this story. We're going to unpack it in a minute. But, but this was not foreign to them. They, they didn't say, what are you talking about? But a lot of people today might say, Jesus, what are you talking about? But when they heard that, they said, oh, it clicked in their mind. And it went, they went back to that story that historical event that they all learned. So when they would go to the synagogue and grow up, like we go to Sunday school as kids, and in most churches, there's, you know, and they learn the story, Daniel and the lions, then they learn, you know, David and Goliath, and they learn Moses, uh, you know, and, and the burning bush, and the Ten Commandments, and Noah and the ark, and, and all these wonderful true stories from Scripture. Well, this was going to be one that they knew. So let me go and help you with that. It's from Numbers chapter 21. So this is after the people of Israel have left Egypt. They've been delivered by the mighty hand of God, all the plagues and everything. Pharaoh finally, his hardened heart was, was such that he said, okay, I'm going to let these people go. So they leave. They go across the Red Sea. They're in the wilderness. And God said, I'm going to take you down to Mount Sinai. I'm going to give you the law, but then I'm going to take you up to the promised land, and I want you to inherit the promised land, this land that I promised Abraham, that Isaac and Jacob walked. I want you guys to, to, to own this land and to live in this land and enjoy the fruit of this land. So in their journey, in their trekking, in their, in their uh, going, 
the people, and there's estimate over a million, they're not happy. Number one, it's hot and it's dry. So they complain about the temperature. They complain about no water. They complain about food. And they're coming to Moses and they're wearing Moses out. And of course, Moses is going to God. And it gets to a point that God said, all right, Moses, listen, I'm going to wipe them out and I'm going to start over with you. Just like God did in Genesis 6 where the wickedness of, of mankind was so great that the thought and the intention of every man's heart was only evil continually. So from Adam and Eve, that first sin, to Cain and Abel when, you know, that he killed his brother, you know, things, you know, people started just doing perverted and wicked things. It got so bad that God said everything they think about, everything that just comes to their mind is only evil continually. The world had gotten so bad. And so we know the story. God said, okay, here's a guy named Noah. He's got some sons. They've got some, you know, daughter-in-law. He's got a daughter-in-law. These six people, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start over because they are right with me. They, they have a heart that is tender. They, they care for people. They, they, their thoughts aren't always evil. Continue. So God, great flood, destroys humankind, starts over with Noah and his family. They pushed God so much. Now, God is slow to anger. He's, he's, he's compassionate. Scripture teaches. We, we know how just long-suffering God is and how merciful God is. And it got to the point where they had pushed God so much, God said, Moses, I'm just going to wipe them out and start over with you. Now, when you get to that point, you've, you've pushed God pretty hard. And I don't want any of us to be that way. But anyway, so, so they did. And so Moses said, God, for your name's sake, the other nations will hear that all of your followers are dead, and they're going to say, you didn't have the power to deliver them. God, it's going to reflect on you in a negative way. God, don't be merciful as you have been. Extend more kindness and, and, and give, give them another chance. Give them one more, one more, one more. And, and so God said, all right. So, so, it, so what I'm telling you is the complaining got so bad and, and just how they were treating each other. And it just, oh, it just, God was like, okay, I'm fed up. Well, God gives them another chance. They keep going. And it gets to a point in Numbers 21 where it says this, verse 6. The Lord sent fiery serpents among the people and they bit the people so that many people of Israel died. So God said, okay, I'm not going to wipe them out. But you know what? If they keep complaining, i got to do something. And so God says, okay, all these poisonous snakes that I've created, I'm going to send them over there where the Israelites are. And, and they start biting the people. And because the venom was so tight, they, people started dying. Now, this was horrible. Your cousin might have gotten bitten. Your, your uncle might have gotten bitten. A member, you know, of your community. And people are... And so the hope was... That in this situation, and God's hope has always been, people will turn to God and say, God, have mercy. God, show us what we've done wrong. God, what, what's going on? Help me understand. Instead of blaming God and being angry with God and cursing God. And, and, so, and so what God, what happened was the people did. Thank goodness. It says this. So the people came to Moses and said, we have sinned because we have spoken against the Lord and you. Now, it wasn't like they said one thing, like, you know, da, da, da. But they continually, continued, grumbled and complained about Moses, grumbled and complained about God. And so, um, 
they recognize it. So that's a good thing. In the midst of their hardship, they turned to God and said, God, we recognize how, how wrong we've been. Moses, we recognize how wrong we've been toward you, how, how we've spoken evil about you, how, we, how we've made jokes about you, how, we, how we've just cursed you and behind your back. We, 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 we're ashamed of that. We recognize that. And then they say, intercede with the Lord that he may remove the serpents from us. Here's the good thing. They knew the power of God, and they knew that God could, if he chose, remove these serpents from them. Because they had seen the powerful hand of God. And so that's another thing. So when we do something, we got to make sure we go to God, not run from God. And then we ask God, Lord, you're really the only one with the power to make a difference, to change things. So they said, please pray to God, intercede for us. We know we've sinned. We've confessed it. We acknowledge it. We, we, we repent of it. And, and, and ask God to remove these snakes. So this is what Moses does. So Moses interceded for the people. Then the Lord said to Moses, Make a fiery serpent and set it on a standard, and it shall come about that everyone who is bitten, when he or she looks at it, this snake that Moses put on a stick, they will live. And Moses made a bronze serpent, set it on a standard, and it came about that if a serpent bit any man, when he or she looked at the bronze serpent, they lived. So Jesus said, just as Moses lifted up the serpent, so shall the Son of Man be lifted up. And everyone who believes in him will experience eternal life. They remembered this story. So here's the crazy thing. God said to Moses, okay, I'm not going to remove the snakes. I'm going to leave them there. But I'm going to see if the people trust me and if the people believe me and if they act in faith on what I've told them to do. So it sounds silly to create a snake out of bronze, put it on a standard, put it on a large stick, and if you get bit because the snakes weren't removed, you still walk around, there might be a snake out there. If you get bit, what do you do? You don't die if you believe, have faith, if you trust and acknowledge that God said something, you act in faith believing it, and you do it. So all they had to do which makes no sense. And medically, it doesn't work. We've we, we got physicians, we got, we got folks with medical understanding. If you get bit by a poisonous snake and you got venom in your veins and you look at a snake on a stick and you believe that you're going to be healed, medically, no. That, that, you got to get anti-venom. There's other things that you have to do. But because God is all-powerful, God said, okay, I'm going to test them. I'm going to check them out. If they'll just believe me and do what I ask them to do, then I will supernaturally heal them and they won't die. So when people got bit, which they did, the ones who believed, the ones who had faith, the ones who put their trust in what God said to do, which didn't make much sense, and they looked at that snake on that stick, God said, ah, they're acting in faith. They believe what I said. They trust in me. I will respond because I'm faithful, and I'll heal them. It was miraculous. It was like Cousin Sid got bit, and he said, I looked at the snake, and all of a sudden I was fine. I didn't die like Cousin John did. 
God is real. And all you have to do is put your faith and put your trust in what he said. And so Jesus is telling them the same thing. I'm going to be lifted up, which means I'm going to be nailed to a Roman cross, crucified above the ground. And if you will look at me and what I, Jesus, am doing for you in laying my life down, yielding my body for you, and believe that the blood that I'm shedding is powerful enough to forgive you of your sins, to cleanse you of the wickedness and the evil, and the wrath of God who placed his wrath on you, if you'll trust and believe, an act of faith, then God says, I'm going to forgive your sins. I'm going to wipe it out. I'm going to cleanse you. And the wrath that I will pour out on the sin you committed, I poured it out on Jesus. Because the Bible says, he who knew no sin, like we said before, in him, God made him to be sin that we might become the righteousness if we put our trust in him. So, so all of my sin, all of your sin, all of the sin that anybody before us has ever committed, all of the sin that anybody after us ever commits, which is a lot. God who hates sin, God who, it's an abomination to him. God said, and I don't know how he did this, but supernaturally he took everybody's sin. And while Jesus was hanging on the cross, he made, God made Jesus who knew no sin to become sin on our behalf. And so when Jesus was hanging on the cross, all of my sin, all of the punishment that, that, I, that I deserve, Jesus took it on himself. This is that story that changes everything. Now, you remember in the Garden of Gethsemane, this is right before Jesus is arrested, right before he goes on to these mock trials, and right before he was scourged, right before he was crucified. He's in the garden, and he takes a couple of his disciples, and, and he takes them a little bit further. He says, guys, pray here, because I'm in agony to the point of death. And one of the gospel writers says that, that Jesus begins to sweat, and drops of blood are falling to the ground. There's such agony, there's such distress that he's experiencing. There, there's such just pressure on him. And he's saying, God, if there's any other way, let this cup pass me. Lord, let's reconcile humankind. If there's another way, I, let's do that. But then Jesus said, not my will, but yours be done. Why was Jesus in so much agony? Why was Jesus in so much torture? Why was Jesus, I believe, it's not because the physical torture he was going to endure, which was horrific. When they whipped his, when they scourged him, Josephus historians tell us the type of scourging that was going on during that time that the Roman soldiers were inflicting on people. 39 lashes was about the most any person could take, because 40 would, would kill somebody. The flesh that's ripped from, the, from their, their back, the, the, the metal that they put in there, and the, and the glass, and, the, and these leather, and, and, and they would take them and, and rip it back when they, and it, was just, it would just tear a person's physical body. And then a crown of thorns, and the, the thorns in Israel are big. They're not the, like the little rose thorns, which are bad enough because they draw blood. But these are long, and they, they wove a crown of thorns, and they placed it on his head. And, and, and then the Bible says that they, they blindfolded Jesus. And not only the scribes and the Pharisees and religious leaders did this, but the Romans, a Roman cohort, 600 men, they would punch Jesus in the face with this blindfold and say, prophesy, who hit you? So he's getting beaten in the face. He's got a crown of thorns on his back. He's fixing to get his back just ripped to shreds. 
And then it says they spit on him in his face. And it's like, you know, you spit in somebody's face. That, but then you get a Roman cohort, 600. It's like Popeye. That's all I can stand. I can't stand this no more. I mean, I could just see Jesus getting to that point where, Lord, I'm doing this because I love. I love the man who just spat in my face. I want him to be forgiven. I don't want him to spend eternity apart from you. God, I want you to forgive them. And on the cross, he says, Lord, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. That sin nature, that, 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 that wickedness that has separated them from you. Lord, I, I want to do all that I can and all that's possible. And it will be if they'll just trust in me. So this physical torture that Jesus went through was horrific. And then crucifixion itself, you're, you're hanging with nails through your flesh, and, and every breath is laborious, and, and, and just, just the t- torture that goes on, hanging on that cross for six hours. I don't believe that Jesus is sweating drops of blood because of all that physical torture, which was, nobody should go through that. I believe Jesus was sitting there with drops of blood coming from his, from his forehead because he knew that the Father was going to place my sin on him and your sin on him. And every person who's ever lived, he was going to be sin and God was going to judge. The wrath of Almighty God was going to be poured out on his son. And I don't know what that was like for Jesus, but I know it got him to the point where there was such anguish, such turmoil. He said, God, is there any other way? but I'm going to do what has to be done because I care, I love, I want each person that you and I create, Father, to know us because that's why we created them. And so he, he, he's there and he's, he's saying, I'm willing, I'm willing to lay my life down. I'm willing to be lifted up. So we as followers of Jesus, you guys have heard this story. You guys have put your trust in Jesus. You guys have said, Father, forgive me because I've sinned and I believe that the blood of Jesus. And when we took communion uh, last Sunday, uh, you know, the blood of Jesus was poured out for you and for for all for the forgiveness of us. We believe that. We trust that. And what do we do with this wonderful story? We celebrate it. But then we've got to share it. Everybody needs to know that the bad things that we do and the horrible way you might feel inside and and all the the bondage that we might experience based on poor decisions, there's an answer for that. There's wholeness and healing. There's restoration. There's hope for your future, for my future, because of what Jesus did on the cross. And if we'll look to him like the men in the Old Testament, the women in the Old Testament, and we believe then God will come and do what only God can do. Forgive us and heal us and restore us and give us hope and give us joy and give us boldness and give us confidence. We've got to tell people. And they might think it's silly. Paul said the preaching of the crucifixion, was the the cross is silly to the Greeks. They think that that doesn't make any sense. Of course it doesn't make sense because God's saying, I want you to have faith. I want you to trust in me. I want you to believe that what I'm saying is reality. I'll close with this story. A friend and I went out to eat uh, last weekend, and we met this couple. They were coming through town. They were on their way uh, somewhere, and we were outside at a, at a restaurant, and they pulled in. They said, hey, you know, we, we're, we're not from here, but we, we saw some good reviews about this restaurant. Is the food good? And we said, well, this is our first time eating here. We, we, we you know, uh, we've heard good things. So they go inside and eat, and they come out. We're still there hanging out, having a great time, and uh, we get to talking to this couple. 
and we find out they're from the coast, and, uh, and the man is a businessman, and, and, uh, and he said, as, as he kind of found out who we were, he said, well, since you both are ministers, I, I think you're going to be able to answer this question, but I, I need to ask you anyway. He said, if you were to die tonight, where would you spend eternity? And Fran and I said, well, we believe in Jesus, and, and we would spend eternity with him because we've allowed him to be the Lord of our life, and he's forgiven us. And, and, and he said, well, that, I was hoping that's what you'd say. And he said, um, God has changed my life. And he calls it bumping. I need to bump people from time to time. He said that. And his wife said, well, that, that's, the, that, that's how we call it. That's what we talk about evangelism, bumping people. So, but anyway, he was telling us some stories about how he would bump people. And he would use that question. Evangelism Explosion uh, uses that same question. If you were to die tonight, you know, would you go to heaven? Or where, you know, where would you go? Uh, and then depending on their answer, you kind of engage him in a conversation. But he told us a story. He said, he said there was a man in our community well-respected, very wealthy, wanted to do some business with me. So he came to my office, and we started talking, and we, we came up with, a, with a, you know, a contract and all that kind of stuff. And before the man left, I just felt like the Holy Spirit said, ask him. So before the guy left, he said, I, I got one more question I just need to ask you. Uh, if you. If you were to die tonight, where would you spend eternity? And the man said, I've gone to church all my life. How dare you ask me that question? And got real upset and stormed out. And... Uh, and the guy was like, wow, you know, Lord, I thought, I thought you wanted me to ask him that question. Um, well, they, you know, they, they, that didn't negate the contract. They, they did what they agreed. But eight weeks later, so two months later, this same gentleman comes back in this guy's office. And he said, I've got to talk to you. And he said, well, come on in. I've got some time. He said, uh, two months ago when you asked me that question, I got mad at you. But I've not been able to shake that question and even though I grew up in church, I knew in the core of my being that I wasn't right with God. I really was lost. And the guy said, he said, I was lost as a bat. And he said, I've, I've given my life to Christ in this time. And I want to thank you for being willing to ask me that question. So this morning, what do we do with this great story? What do, we, what do we do? Well, we celebrate it. But then I think many of us, we just don't take the opportunity to tell somebody else about it. And I'm not saying you have to use that question. I'm saying all you have to do is do something like, well, do you have a church home? I'd love to invite you to Martha Bowman. Or whatever God might give you to start a spiritual conversation. You can wrap spiritual conversations into anything, whether it's fishing, whether it's motor repair, whether it's finance, whether there's something in the gospel, there's something in your experience of life that God can use because he wants every person to know him. God's on your side with this. God's already drawing that person to himself. God's already working on this person. But how can we turn the conversation some way around to spiritual things and let the Holy Spirit use you and me to tell the story of Jesus. It might be this much of the story. We might have an opportunity to tell you this much of the story. But especially during this season of COVID, especially during this time where, where there's such uncertainty, we need to be those instruments that God wants to use 
to help others know about the fact that Jesus was lifted up. And if we look to him, then we have eternal life. Amen?